and welcome to You Need to Peep This, a film <laughs> podcast about filling in the gaps of our collective cinematic experience. I'm Luce Tomlin Brenner, and I'm joined by my co-host, me, Cozy. <laughs> Hello, Cozy. Hello. How do you do? How do you do, fine sir? Oh, quite well, thank you. Oh, oh. quite finely. Marvelous. Well, Cozy and I are comedians, writers, filmmakers, and heathens. Oh, I just heard like thunder in the background when you said that. <laughs> I am being engulfed in flames. Whoa. <laughs> so here, that sounds uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, you know what? I find it inspirational. It's motivation, baby. Ooh, good call. Uh, <laughs> each week. On this podcast, Cozy and I pick a film at least one of us has seen and at least one of us has never seen. And then we try to convince each other and you, dear listener, that this film is worth your time. So we'll cover it all. We're not snobby here. We got art films. We got foreign films. We got blockbusters. We've got flops. And we're going to talk about them all with no spoilers. No spoilers. And you know what? It's not just me and Cozy. We do not do it alone. We have the one the only, the incredible sound engineer, comedian, artist, musician, Pete Burns is on the podcast today, again, blessing us with his voice, not just behind the scenes, but he's going to talk about a film this week. Pete, welcome to the other side of the microphone. Welcome. Hello. Hello again. Thank you for having me. Being here, appreciate it. You are in control of uh, the fact that we're being heard, so (laughs) (laughs) I have to be here. (laughs) You're like they're not going to hear you if they can't hear me. (laughs) Amazing! You just published my inner monologue. Putting it all out there for the world to see. <laughs> Pete, you're very powerful and you have incredible film taste. So I'm really happy to hear you're going to talk about a movie today that Cozy and I have never seen and we don't even know anything about it. Yeah, this is a first for us. I don't think we've ever had uh, a guest well, come on and, and tell both of us about a thing we've never seen. Is that false? The first time, the first time Pete came on the other side of things, he did Cats, which none of us had seen. That's a great call. Cats was so, definitely one of those. Who can forget cats? Who no one. <laughs> we talked about it twice. <laughs> so nice. We did it twice. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I think that I think that now that I've seen cats, there is no point in time in which I have not seen cats. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, once it's in you, it's in you. <laughs> it's always once it's in me, yes. it's always been in it, me. Yeah, it exactly. It figures your DNA, like our favorite film, and I like cats. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought we were going to do that twin thing where we match it and we finish the sandwiches. <laughs> Honestly, once Old Deuteronomy gives you that monologue straight into your eyes, you are never the same. It's true. I felt it, and it's true. <laughs> so yeah, great call, great catch. Wow. So, I mean, so the first time you were on, it was a hit. Uh, we went and saw that movie. We all went together, and I'm so happy we did. That was uh, one of the last times we were all together. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah wow that was pre-pandemic facts. yeah Truth. and then the last time you and i talked about call me by your name to convince cozy which i think we convinced him but he hasn't watched it yet accurate on both <clears throat> counts <clears throat> <clears throat> oh these are some guilty noises <laughs> 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 lucky i'm a heathen so i don't respond to guilt 
man. Oh, rats. I know. Oh. Well, what are you going to whip up and serve to us today? Um, well, today I would love to introduce you to our Moose Bouche, um, the movie Silence from 2016, directed by uh, Martin Scorsese. Wow. Okay, so I've never heard of this movie, and I didn't know it was possible to not hear of a Martin Scorsese film. I I know, I know. I think it will. It's it's one of his, you know, very little known ones. Even though it's one of the more recent ones, mm-hmm. um, it came out immediately after Wolf of Wall Street, which was huge. So, uh. um, so I think that probably played a role, and also it was a huge box office bust. Oh man! Um, and a uh, very expensive movie to make. This movie lost $25 million. Oh, um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That is a damn I, bummer. Blood just ran cold. Yeah. <laughs> if I lost $25 million, no one would, I mean, I would just be building up everyone around me. No one would be flopping. We, I would oh. build up like a thousand people or more with that money. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So this movie, so what you're saying is this movie came out and then silence. <laughs> yes. Burn. Wow. That's a burn. I've been sitting on that for weeks, I feel like. <laughs> That's <waiting>. right. <laughs> Full it got weeks. me good. Oh, I'm terrible. Um, um but yeah, this movie like when I heard when I heard you mention the name of this and I have since forgot the name of it because sometimes that happens. Uh I I it immediately made me think of another religion related movie uh with a similar title called Spotlight. And I was like, oh, I wonder, I must have heard both of those and just kind of assumed they were the same thing. Wow, they're so different. I mean, I have not seen Silence. Why would I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I've, seen both, I've seen both. Okay. And the the only overlap I would say is, yeah, like there's uh, the Catholic Church is involved. Yeah, in <laughs> yeah religion, is, religion is in there. And also one, one t- word title with an S at the beginning. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I that's never, what really did it for me. I never think of Spotlight as a religious movie. I think of it as like a journalism. Journalism a, movie, yeah. Movie. Uh, yeah. Well, I see, I haven't seen either of them, so to like me, the whatever. Post- oh, yeah, yeah, it feels yeah, yeah, very yeah. like All the President's Zodiac? Men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, those, um, those all have kind of different places in my brain, but I see the connective thread, too. Let's take down notes of all these titles we just... Oh my god. If we if we wrote down the titles of every movie that I got confused with other movies, Jesus, that would be it. <laughs> that would be all our that would be all our notes. Yes. Um uh I that's that's so interesting, Cozy. Um that you made that connection. I haven't been able to think of anything else. This movie doesn't bring up anything for me. My mind is blank. Ah, oh, silence. Yeah. I'm just going to keep Stop doing it. that throughout this episode. I'm a monster. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I'll be quiet. <laughs> okay, thank you. Ah! <laughs> no, Cozy, keep talking. No. <laughs> uh, silence. This is fun already. Awful. <laughs> um, but I'm here, uh, and I took this microphone today to tell you and the listeners of this podcast, you need to see this movie. Okay, We've great. We've never seen this movie. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, it, 
It, um, it, it, you know, I told you it was a box office bust, but, um, it's critically acclaimed. Uh, it was nominated for the Oscars, um, that year for, um, best cinematography. Oh. Um, so there's a pretty and, one. Yeah. It's, it's a gorgeous film. First of all, um, just on a visual level, um, it takes place in, um, Japan in the 1600s. Wow. Um, and it is a long film. I forgot how long this film was, but it's two hours and 45 minutes. So you are strapping in for one hell of a film. Oh, wow. Who, who wrote it? Did... Um, so this was co-written by Martin Scorsese and this guy, Jay Cox, who I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it was based on a novel written by, hold on, I'm pulling up the guy's name. I'll make sure I get his name right. Uh, Shusako Endo, um, and he is a a, a Japanese uh, Catholic, um, and he wrote a number uh, a number of works like throughout his life, um, and he passed away in 1996. Oh damn! Um, and this this is actually, and I did not know this until today, but this is the second time that his book uh, by the same title, Silence was adapted into a film. The first time was in 1971. Um, and that was done by a, a Japanese director. Hmm. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So researching today, I was like, oh, I, I would be really interested in watching the original as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Um, it looks like Jay Cox actually has worked with Martin Scorsese on a number of films, including uh, Gangs of New York and The Age of Innocence. Oh, okay. What's cool. Age of Innocence? Uh, it was like a '90s. I want to say '90s, and I want to say uh, Daniel Day Lewis. I wonder if any of those are right. Yes, 1990s. Huh. Daniel Day Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Winona Ryder. The tale of a 19th-century New York high society in which a lawyer falls in love with a woman separated from her husband while he's engaged to the woman's cousin. Ooh, sounds hot. My 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 Ooh. my. Ooh, ow. Good cast. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, that's, a, <clears throat> that's a maybe for the Age of Innocence. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, but yeah, I'll give you a, a quick synopsis. I guess maybe I should have started with that. Um, but Silence follows two uh, Jesuit Portuguese missionaries who um, who are living in Macau, which is in uh, mainland China as of today, but back then was like a Portuguese trading post. Um, And so they were in the seminary there and they basically received this letter um, that one of the missionaries uh, that was sent to Japan to kind of convert the population um, has like gone missing. And there's like this rumor that he apostatized or like gave up the faith. Um, And they're also getting word that all these Christians who had been converted over the course of like their mission um, were being tortured to renounce the faith or killed. Mm. Um, and so these two, these two priests played by um, there's father Giuseppe and father Rodriguez. Father Giuseppe is played by Adam driver and father Rodriguez is played by Andrew Garfield. Mm. Yum, and, yum, yum. Two highs. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Another great reason to watch this film is they both look good and there's really good hair. Both of them have really good hair in this film. <laughs> And like, yes, yes. very, very long and wavy. Oh my god, that's so funny. (laughs) And Andrew Garfield grows like a mean beard, too. Who knew? Wow, that is a shocker. Yeah, he always has like a little baby face. (laughs) Yeah, um, so yeah, the film you know starts out there, and then they um travel to Japan and they they meet a guide um who's Japanese and wants to return home. Um, and this guide basically is with them throughout the whole movie. And the movie explores them on mainland Japan, kind of, you know, having their own experiences of meeting Japanese Christians or Catholics um, and seeing how they have adapted Catholicism as their own um, in secret. And um, mm-hmm. what you see is like this interesting fusion of like, what does it mean for like a native Japanese person who doesn't really understand English or the religion that well? Like, how do they make sense of it through their own perspective? Mm-hmm. And you see like these Japanese, I don't know. I, I will say for myself, I'm not, um, I was raised Catholic, but I, I would say I'm agnostic today. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm not uh, Catholic in any sort of way currently, but um just as somebody who I guess was exposed to that like a lot as a kid, like I found or I find it really fascinating the way that he like um, that Scorsese like shows religion, like fusing with culture in this way. And I really like that about this film. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I, my um, family, my extended family, my parents were both raised Catholic and a lot of my extended family is still Catholic. So I grew up around a lot of, you know, any weddings or any ceremonies of any kind, funerals, all that stuff was Catholic. So I've gone to a lot of Catholic masses Mm. and I always, I think it's like stylistically great. (laughs) Yeah. I love the rituals. I love the scary bleeding statues. Um, I love the like really horrific stained glass windows um but yeah I never I wasn't we were raised in like a very basic like simple sort of church it's like congregationalist it's like everyone's welcome here here's a homily like it's pretty (laughs) straightforward (laughs) yeah sure it never hit with me I never saw it as anything really different from like Santa or Tooth Fairy like nice stories but I can't relate to it so also would identify as agnostic. Uh, um, yeah, I'm a straight up atheist. Uh, grew up Jewish. Um, didn't really give a fuck about anything, and still pretty much don't. So <laughs> there isn't there isn't a huge connection for me on this one, but that is good to know. Regardless, I'm yeah. fascinated by Catholicism being in Japan because that just is something I never considered ever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, obviously growing up Catholic, I feel like it was really drilled into us in the history and in, in the Bible stories that we were told and everything, like, especially New Testament, like obviously proselytizing was a huge part of Catholicism early on. Mm. Um, and as an extension of like these empire, these European empires at the time, which were largely Catholic, like Spain and Portugal, mm. um, like it became uh part and parcel of their colonialism yeah that's what i was just thinking and wondering if that how that's like 
is that aspect of it is explored in the story? Like the acknowledgement? Absolutely. And I wouldn't say it's overt, but especially on the second time watching it, or I guess this is probably my third time watching it, you really see it in um, the character's development over time, like these two priests that we're following. Um, Because the movie really explores, I would say the main plot point is like their internal journey with their faith in the in the face of like living in Japan and seeing what is happening to the people that they're trying to convert. Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay. Um and so know. you so you see them grappling with the consequences of what they've been trying to do and have convinced themselves is the greater good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I'm always like fascinated by mich- missionaries. Um, I think they're so awful. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just think it's interesting to like be so obsessed with your own faith and your own belief system to then have to be like, okay, now I'm going to go to these other people who have a totally different belief system and try to win them over to mine. Like, it's so odd to me. I guess it's, it's- like the podcast version of religion. <laughs> It just it also feels very invasive because religion oh, is such a personal thing and it's it builds so much of how you view the world from such a young age that mm-hmm. it's like cool this is your entire frame for the world I'm a person you've never heard of here's a thing you've never heard of let's try and uh remix your Rubik's cube a little bit Yeah I totally agree I totally agree like being raised catholic like I you know I'll never not have those experiences but if I had my druthers like the way I would raise my kids is to introduce them to like every religion that I know of and just be like, do any of these speak to you? Do you, yes. like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. let them have agency. Yeah. I've yeah, always totally. liked the idea of like celebrating lots of different holidays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just that's, be like, hey, that's true too. <laughs> yeah. Like these are all valid. They're all interesting. Cause I like ritual and I like tradition um, mm. that's associated with like, holidays and uh religious ceremonies and celebrations i love to celebrate like i want to really celebrate anything i just don't like the idea that like the religions being like this is the thing that is real and it's the only one that's right like i don't like that aspect of it yeah the exclusionary thing and sort of it's my way or the highway a little Mm -hmm. bit yeah, 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 exactly. I, I would like it more if it was just like, we eat this specific food because of this fascinating old fairy tale. I'm like, great, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's such a better kind of mile marker for, for everyday life. It's like, cool, we're having a fun time where we celebrate something, maybe eat some nice food and, you know, talk about some interesting stuff, but we don't pressure anybody. We don't guilt anybody. We're not like judging anybody. We're just like, cool, this is, uh, this is unique for, for your everyday life. Yeah, I think the way that it's connected yeah. to mortality is the thing where it gets, starts getting twisted. Yeah, are true. So tense about dying. Fear, fear is such a huge thing with that. Yeah, I, I think that's where it's <clears throat> difficult. If it was more just like these are good lessons to live your life by, it would yeah. maybe be a little less of like such a tight grip, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone's so worried about the afterlife. Um, it feels like that steers a lot of the uh contemptuousness yeah and when you worry about other people's uh lives and afterlives that's when that that's when the fear and worry is so big and so strong that you sort of feel entitled to going in there and changing people because you're like i'm doing it for their own good i don't want to see them get hurt or die 
Yeah. Very, very codependent. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> it makes me think like, I don't know if I, I would have said this like a couple of years ago, but I feel like the problem is the politicization of religion in that way, because I yeah. don't really see, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to disentangle like modern day Republicans from mm-hmm. like, evangelical christianity in the u.s sometimes right um but i'm but i'm thinking back further to like maybe this time but like religion was a political weapon like catholicism was a political weapon Mm. um you know these missionaries in a certain way were um you know a way of trying to exert control over these other nations you know oh absolutely i mean that was like spain coming here to california um, oh yeah, yeah. The actual missions that they built to convert the uh, indigenous people and then enslave them was all in the name mm. of like power yeah. and religion. Yeah, yeah, and and you you convert one person, then they're going to convert two other people, and then it's just basically a zombie movie at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. All it that's takes actually... is one bite of Catholicism to change everybody. <laughs> I actually I think that's a pretty good comparison because if you think about the way like um, zombification like changes the human form and like erases who you were before I think that Catholicism there you know the way that it was spread across like indigenous cultures and um, you know and obviously here in Japan like everywhere it seems like there was nowhere they didn't put their hooks in and the way it washed away the religion that was there before Hmm. is kind of zombie like yeah so so basically this is a this this movie right here silence is a zombie movie in which uh the (laughs) zombies realize their effects on human beings who have become uh who are in the process of becoming zombies and they're like whoa i don't know if i want to fully turn all the zombies anymore (laughs) we should stop nailing it (laughs) i i mean like honestly (laughs) as we're going down this this route of this zombie comparison the more and more i'm like this is good i love it that makes me very happy I also really love giving analysis on a movie we've never seen. <laughs> oh my god, best. Also, I feel like I pretty recently saw a zombie movie with Adam Driver, so like this is really uh, working for me in terms oh, of yeah, a mental picture. The Dead Don't Die? The Dead Don't the, Die! The Jim Jarmusch film? Yeah. The Dead Just Become Colonized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But there, there's a fascinating through line um, <laughs> through this movie of like them trying to figure out what happened to this father who went over there and apparently disappeared. Yeah. Um, And the rumor that he like gave up the faith. And so part of the time you're seeing them like obviously struggle with the Japanese Christians around them who they're like teaching and who worship them. um, And then seeing those same people like get tortured or murdered. Um, you know, but they're also struggling with like their own internal picture of this this priest who they think is very devout. Like, did he really give up the faith? And like, if he did, why on earth would he do that? Um, because you're seeing these two priests a lot of the time watching their followers like get hurt mm. and not renouncing the faith, you know? Mm. Um, but there's like a lot of I feel like this movie is just excellent at internal conflict and tension. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, Martin Scorsese really is skilled in that way. Um, We always think of him as making these big 
shoot 'em up type movies, you know, a yeah, lot of times. It's like Absolutely. But like all of his characters, even in those films, they are all struggling with something like I really like that he picks not e- not even anti heroes, but he picks people who are, you know, stories about people who are like criminals or just like kind of maybe you would just say a shitty person. You know, like if you think of like <laughs> totally. the Wolf on Wall Street guys, like a shitty person. Um, but like, there's a lot of interesting internal conflict in that character and in everybody that they that he showcases, which I really like a lot because it shows the complexity of like every every human being. That there's, it's not just like the good and the bad, which is something we talk about on this podcast a lot. Is that like films that really succeed when they're able to show. Um, characters that are struggling with their decisions not because of like right or wrong but just because of like what they are seeing the consequences of their actions Mm. yeah i i feel like this film does does that so well like there are so many shades of of like morality in this film like there there is no person even though you're following those two priests and kind of mostly andrew garfield through the movie Mm. um i felt like i never felt like i was on his side or like rooting for him to win throughout this Mm. um in most cases you're rooting for him to lose because for him to lose is him like basically giving up the faith which you know will serve the greater good right um you know it's just a really interesting like that dynamic of like being like you want this guy you want this guy to lose i don't know there there are other cases of that but, but that, that struck cool. me watching this yeah yeah i like that yeah i um, like that it's, too it's interesting um score like scorsese to me very quickly has negative connotations just because you know the, the his place in the canon a lot of the times is very much like really really good at like these you know those shoot 'em up movies like Luce, like luce was saying uh, and just a lot of things that to me are very toxic masculinity. They're very mm. much like traditional imagery of masculinity. And so I'll, I'll write him off in a heartbeat. And it's harder for me to be convinced to see a, a Scorsese movie than a lot of other movies. Cause I'm like, mm. Oh, gangs of New York is like shooting and gangs or, or like Goodfellas is shooting and mob stuff. And I'm like, ah, that's, you know, to me, that's been nothing, but looking at his, his IMDB a little bit and kind of reminding myself of his whole, frame of of work his whole body mm. of work i'm like oh he did shutter island and i like that he did hugo right. and i like that so i'm yeah. like okay that softens me a little bit and it makes me a little bit more open to seeing a scorsese movie which i know i'm in the vast minority like the very small minority of people who are like nah <laughs> no but i mean i think that's a good point i think it does seem like th- it does seem like he makes a certain type of toxic masculinity movies but i would say that that's like a that that's like a surface level reading because of the, I think a lot of people who like his films are surface level kind of people who are like, who like the stupider aspects of it. Do you know what I mean? Like I do. And I love that. Yeah. They like, they like Leo, you know, doing Coke off a hooker's tits. Or right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that masculinity. Oh, said tits. Maybe I'll I like tits. I, I prefer it better than any other word, honestly. Look, I never can... say the word tits, and somehow it just came out of me. It's okay. We'll talk <laughs> to our desperate, desperate we'll talk to, to our editor, and we'll have him edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. um, Amazing. 
one of my favorite films that he did is The Aviator, uh, which is uh, Howard Hughes' uh, biopic. Right. And it's not masculine at all, I don't think. <laughs> like, I, I think Howard Hughes is like a very complicated person who was like kind of awful, but then did a lot of really interesting, meaningful things for cinema and also got extraordinarily mentally ill in like a... Uh, a way that people didn't talk about for a long time because they were just like, were like, ew, gross. And I feel like Martin Scorsese really brought a conversation around like, I don't know what we think of somebody and they're like, oh yeah, this huge billionaire guy. And like, whatever happened right. to him, he just faded away. Like, no, he had this, like, he had a fucked up childhood, a fucked up life. And he was really rich and he got to just be like really weird for a long time and then people just let him kind of be uh i don't know get sicker and sicker and sicker and sort of like fade away just because he like they couldn't benefit from his richness anymore it's like they loved him when he was successful and then when he wasn't it was like oh no put him away right yeah like um, even yeah. even even extreme billionaires uh have tragic stories a lot of the times it seems like that's the weird thing is when you when you dip into it you're like oh they you know, they, they suffer from this kind of mental illness or they like never talked to their children because they were yeah, living like... in a world of being a business. And there's <laughs> yeah, so many, exactly. yeah, there's, there's, you know, a lot of times it just seems like there's no way to become that much of a heightened uh, person on a, on a wealth level without, <laughs> without something else being inherently broken. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it shows it just like, oh God, like having wealth is not, it's like I don't think his life is glamorous. I didn't think the Wolf of Wall Street guy's life was glamorous. Like I thought in both movies, I think both movies are really similar in that it shows that like it's all a facade. That's yeah. like all like very precariously balanced. And when we speak about service level things, it's like, yeah, so you're like cool, boats, tits, drugs, uh, planes, but then you just scrape a little bit underneath that and you're like, oh no, it's all rotted and filled with worms. Like, yeah. yes. that's what Scorsese does really well is he takes something that like has a lot of glitz and glamour. And I think I say that in the like masculine sense of like what draws, you know, a hundred percent towards masculinity. And yeah. but then he's like, okay, but look inside. And then you're like, oh no, it's putrid. Like that's that interesting. Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like that's what I always assumed no matter what. I was always like, oh, and like uh, heightened masculinity is always stupid and toxic and it always has like this awful core. So so maybe there's a sort of public service being done by his movies in yeah. that he's exposing a thing <laughs> that most people admire and don't realize where well, I'm one of the people who does realize. No, that's why I think you'd actually like <laughs> his films a lot more than you think, Cozy, because yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are on the same page, but he's such a deft filmmaker that he's not preachy and nothing ever yeah. feels like a morality tale. And okay. yes. And so I feel like he tricks, he tricks people into like tricks people who maybe do have a lot of toxic masculinity into like watching his films and maybe learning something. That's yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I like that. I can get behind that. I, maybe it's like, it's a lesson that I don't necessarily need to learn, but it's a lesson a lot of people need to learn, <laughs> but I would still maybe feel seen in my, in my, uh, in my evaluation every time I see that underbelly. Yeah. And honestly, they're yeah. I mean, he's an incredible filmmaker. It's like every aspect of the films that he makes, like visually, the sound, the acting, it's just filmmaking at some of the highest level. So it's, enter it's also mm. entertaining. And I yeah. think that's 
why a lot of people like it is they're like, I'm entertained. But if you watch <laughs> it with any type of intellectual curiosity, you will be entertained, but then you'll also like think about something, uh, you know, in like a, a facet. You'll be like, oh, this is an interesting way of telling this story. Or I hadn't thought about this type of person or character before. Yeah, so, you're drawn in. So you're so you're more in a, in a good, vulnerable place for learning. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think, yeah, I think you'd be into it. That's a, this is my, I didn't know I was such a big Martin Scorsese fan until just now. But <laughs> this I is great. I this is a good convo. Friends. Yeah, I'm into this convo a lot because this, um, this peels back some stuff that I've had uh, for a while as just sort of standard, uh, sort of a standard setting, I guess, of my personality. You, you should definitely see The King of Comedy. Like, yeah, I've heard of it, but I don't really know much about it. Uh, so, uh, Robert De Niro plays like an unsuccessful comedian who wants to be famous, but like, isn't good enough to get that much, um, you know, attention. And so Uh he like kidnaps, uh, this comedian that he loves. What? (laughs) Uh, yeah. He like kidnaps this person and like holds them hostage to, so that he will become famous. That's so weird. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's, I've never, I've definitely never heard that before. That's very interesting. <laughs> it's really good. It's sort of like what I feel like the Joker was trying to do in some ways. It had like, oh, it was like the, the Joker, but like 30 years ago. Interesting. That makes a yeah, lot of sense. I heard the Joker drew on that movie a lot for, for influence and stuff. Ooh. Yeah, I think everything that worked about the Joker was because of Martin Scorsese's influence on Todd Phillips. That makes a ton of sense and to me. the stuff that sucked yeah. was the stuff that felt very hangover-like, like the <laughs> bad, his his bad assessments of um, humanity. Uh, right. Were right. in well, there. <laughs> to to not to not to throw it off, but to very minorly shift the minorest shift. Uh, the fact that Hugo and Shutter Island are the ones that I have seen from him and really liked. Um, tell me that on a visual level this is a movie i should see because i remember them being so visually fantastic mm. yes I mean, you already mentioned that it, that it was nominated for an oscar for it and i'm like cool but now i also have some uh because so, before i guess before that it was like a, a vague sense of this looks good but now i have a couple movies where i'm like this specifically could look good like these uh, oh my <laughs> gosh Ab- absolutely cozy um well these are sort of two of my reasons. Am I allowed to dive into them? Yeah. Why don't you just get started on your, um, yeah, you talked about who was in it and who wrote it. So yeah, why don't we just get into the five reasons and if there's anything left over at the end, we'll do, we'll pepper you with questions. That Mm. sounds amazing. Okay. So number one, I'm glad we got on the Scorsese conversation because Mm. I do tend to agree with Cozy that like there are aspects of like what I would put in, like quotes Scorsese movies, which you know are like violent and yeah, do expose like a lot of toxic masculinity. Like I don't always find those the most comfortable to watch, even mm-hmm. though I think they're good and I like them. Um, and this movie, like in that way, feels like an anti quote unquote Scorsese Scorsese Ooh. film. Um, cool. Like I feel like he. Well, first of all, not to make a cozy joke, but like it's a really quiet film. Perfect. Um, that was a perfect way to do that. <laughs> Nailed it. But like, there's no like, there's no obviously like guns going off at any point. Like, it's very <laughs> like very gentle. Um, 
like even this feels weird to say but like and this i guess is a is a moment for a trigger warning but like you do see um you do do see some of these christian prisoners get tortured the way they the way they would do it like back then um and this was historically accurate there were there were parts of japan that were torturing uh christian japanese back then but um you know they have like hot springs in japan so what they would do is like pour the boiling water on the prisoners like make them to give up the faith um oh wow yeah some of that um so they're there is like a little bit of Scorsese violence, like that's still there, but um, I don't know, <laughs> like it, it's motivated. just like yeah, yeah, it, and it's gentler. I don't know if that's the right mm. word, but I see where um, you're coming from, and it's very. I, I, you know, I've said this about other films that I that I like on this podcast before, and I think this is just something about my taste, but it's very pastoral. Like it's a lot of like just lush scenery um in the same way that i like love that about call me by your name or even princess mononoke for that matter yes i love the lush nice. scenery same yeah they they filmed this in um in taiwan because i guess it's really cheap to film in taiwan um and they were able to like you know kind of build up these uh these sets that look very similar to like traditional japanese um, villages like in the 1600s and it's mm. yeah it's just it's gorgeous wow it sounds beautiful i love that attention um historic attention to detail where it like where costumes and setting and rituals and things are all of the time and it doesn't feel like it's just um what people thought sometimes with like movies i feel like there's like a laziness to like this looks old <laughs> good enough oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, totally, totally. Yeah, there's there's this like one item. This isn't a spoiler, but one of the ways that like you can apostatize is they'll put this little bronze plaque with like Jesus on the cross in front of you and you have to step on it. And that's like kind of this through line through the film is like um this guy called the Inquisitor comes through and he's kind of like if there's a villain, I guess he's like the quote unquote villain. Um but he'll like not, come through yeah, the not town. Not a lot of like... positive inquisitors. <laughs> <laughs> They're not usually the protagonist. Oh, yeah. that'd be a real bummer. Um, but yeah, he'll like gather up who he suspects to be Christian and like put this little plaque on, and he kind of demands that you step on it. Um, mm. And so there's a number of scenes in this movie where you kind of see that play out and see, you know, how each person handles this like religious test. Um, but those plaques, I like. I was like, was that a real thing? Did they really do that? But th- that's how they did it back then. Oh wow! Yeah, it yeah. makes me think of uh, another movie we covered on here, History of the World Part One: The Inquisition. <laughs> mm, yeah. Also, yeah. it's historically accurate. Boom! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. Oh, I guess that was kind of two reasons. So my first reason was like it's the anti-Scorsese. And then my second reason is like visually stunning. I know that's kind of broad, but like no, go that's with great. me. Um and then this one can kind of go with the visual one too, but like um it, the sound design on this movie is incredible. It's so, oh. so good. It's such a quiet, quiet film. Um 
there's never like shouting ever there's never like i said there's no like gunfire like bangs or anything it's just so quiet and Mm -hmm. soft-spoken um and part of the movie part of what you're seeing is like these letters that these priests would write home in their journey so you're you're hearing them narrate these letters as they go along and you can kind of hear through these letters like how they're starting to question the faith even more or question the mission or um and i thought that was like a really nice way of of building the narrative and like getting these characters like internal monologues um you know communicated in such a quiet film yeah i like that a lot um you're right that's a clever choice because sometimes just like over narration we've talked about it before on the podcast is just can be exhausting and feel really shoehorned in oh the worst yes absolutely yeah especially if it's badly done like i have a i have a real real problem with badly done narration where it's just like the acting is purely bad Mm. i feel like that's yeah most most narration is just poorly performed (laughs) yes um there are some people who can't act with just their voice i feel (laughs) That's exact, and they don't know, (laughs) and then they and they do it, and then they still don't know. But everybody else knows now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. Um. Okay, so my third reason is, um, like these performances are 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 stunning, and like they're uh, my favorite performances are um done by the japanese cast and it's it's a mostly japanese cast um in this oh, film. Good. and i think and i that think that's a question cool. i had <laughs> yeah like the only white people in the film are like people who would historically be white people cool mm-hmm. um which is like andrew garfield adam driver and then you do this is not a spoiler because he's in all the posters but you meet liam neeson who's like the the quote-unquote apostate priest later in the oh, film okay yeah 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 um but yeah the 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 performances are incredible um there's this one guy his name is kichijiro he's like the the guy that brings them to japan and he's kind of with them throughout this whole film um but he plays kind of like this interesting i guess like judas-esque kind of role (laughs) where you see him like at some points in the film like selling people out and then at other points in the film like being super devout and you you just see this guy like fluctuate on the whole like spectrum of like i'm a hardcore believer to like i don't believe anything um and it's just like peppered throughout all three hours of the film you see him like on every stage of that journey at different times and it's like his performance i think is my favorite um his name is yosuke kubuzuka hmm. um and he's a japanese actor but he's phenomenal that's cool. so great yeah i would i really i mean i know we talked about it this year with parasite but man we really need to step up talking about the non-american non-white actors that are in films that take place in other countries oh my gosh yes 100 yes like and they're yeah yeah there there are just some other great performances by uh the japanese cast um this guy issei ogata he plays the inquisitor um and he plays it like 
just with such relish and like he's like a super charismatic quote-unquote evil guy but it's it's weird because you you're introduced to him and you think he's evil and then by the end of the film i don't know i feel like you feel differently about him um in the in kind of the parallel way you feel about the priests where you're like these are the heroes um you know it, it makes you sort of question things by the end that's great I love questioning things. <laughs> All the best yeah. movies end, and I'm like, what the fuck is reality? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is a good journey, absolutely. Um, um, and then, okay, reason. I have a couple things left, but I guess reason number four, this is, like, extremely personal, but, like, Luce, we were sort of talking about, like, the the style the stylistic nature of like catholicism mm-hmm. um and while there isn't that much here because it's like obviously in japan and you're just getting mostly like japanese aesthetics there is a lot of like with these priests dialogue and like their teachings with the japanese christians like there is still a lot of like that weird jesuit or catholic mysticism that creeps in mm. and like as somebody who is raised Catholic and obviously don't believe anymore, that part of Catholicism always really, I was really drawn to like the fact that there was like weird, like mysteries. It kind of felt like um, ethereal. I don't know how to quite to describe it or enigmatic. Mm-hmm. And like that, that is very much present throughout this film. Ooh, I love that. Also. Um, I mean, Japanese aesthetics are so beautiful. Like some of the most beautiful art. ever made (laughs) like yeah so to combine like those two and not to make it a monolith obviously japan is extremely uh varied in their types of style but um from that time period i feel like there's a lot of um that art that's explored in uh, the handmaiden the episode we did with michael c hearn uh, a couple months ago um but yeah that 16th 17th century art is really beautiful and precise and um haunting also like there's like a sort of a in some of it there's a folklorist kind of quality that catholicism has about it also legendary sort of yes yeah i completely agree completely agree it's exciting Um, to think of those two types of styles combined totally totally yeah yeah it's it's just so cool like the the character work i think i mentioned this previously but like um seeing sort of like the way um the japanese christians are interpreting the faith but then also when you meet liam neeson later this like apostate priest his name is father Ferreira. Mm -hmm. um you sort of see like japanese culture seen through this like portuguese guy who's like given up his old life to like live as a japanese person and so you're sort of seeing like both sides of the coin like you see you know native japanese learning like um how to live as like a good christian or whatever and then vice versa um and i think that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah that sounds really fascinating yeah um (laughs) and then like such a thoughtful film a very thoughtful film um yeah it's 
And then I guess the the last reason I'll give, I was debating between two, so maybe I'll give both of them. But the last reason I'll give is that I think it like it's a really good film to watch nowadays where we're we're in this conversation talking about like how necessary it is to say you're wrong and to like kind of give up and seed the point and move on and learn from it. Mm. And I feel like this film is all about that. Like it's all Ooh. about overcoming stubbornness in the form of faith. Love that. Wow. That's so uh, uh, precedent. Uh, precedent. What is that word? I can't say uh, it. Prescient. Prescient. Yeah. Did this not happen to me like a couple episodes ago also? Um, I... <laughs> Why do I keep trying to say this word? It does sound familiar. <laughs> it's a good word though. I'm on board for it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Thank you. Learning's <laughs> the best. It is. Also <laughs> deeply humiliating. Um, oh. I, but I love that um, it just feels like that is exactly the moment that we're living in right now, that our American culture is, um, you know, coming up against a crisis and that we yeah. need to do that. And the resistance to that agree. is making things so much worse, is killing people and maiming people and uh you know destroying families and it, the fact that it's like a unwillingness to move forward is like there's actually a death toll behind it right now oh absolutely a hundred percent and it's 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 interesting because there there's always a death toll as, uh, associated with keeping those structures in place and then it grows and grows the more it's pushed on the more the stubbornness is pushed on because of that reaction and if we could all just risk, like accept things immediately we would not have that escalation i hate that escalation it's the worst yeah it feels uh exhausting because yeah, it's that's like constantly reliving uh history until the people who have power uh re- relent when it seems like they're gonna finally lose their power um, mm. yeah and like what are it brings up the question like what are people holding on to, like, if they're unwilling to, like, say that they're wrong or, like, you know, give up it's something? A, there's so much fear associated with it, you know? It's, it's, and, yeah, it's and like we're pride? Ta- yeah, it's, it's not just pride because pride is, is part of it, but pride is always masking something else. Pride is always masking this fear. Uh, I, I think that because people construct their own personalities in such a, in such a real way, um, that they're kind of doing it to to self-define as a as a fear meth like measure mm-hmm. but also yeah yeah well but i was also, just gonna say i think it, people yeah. think it means something about them if they're wrong like that they're nobody wants to be a bad person yeah it's That's like something true. you can't recover from i guess to some yeah people. it's interesting because there's like the personal perspective and then there's the assumption of the outsider perspective like if you feel bad then you feel like a bad person but also you feel like you're maybe losing power in terms of social mm. structures or you're losing power in terms of your kind of goals of like getting a job, finding a, a like a mate or whatever. And sure. when, yeah, when you look wrong in this culture, that automatically loses like power for you. Or at least mm. that's the assumption that we're taught to believe. But it's only because we give that assumption power that that continues yeah, to true. exist. Like, well, right. Yeah. Because yeah, because we're born into those social structures where we're like taught that. 
But the thing yeah. that's so frustrating is that people act like there's no other way to live when there's people all around them who have been rejecting those structures, who yeah. are living fulfilling lives and who are the ones tugging on your fucking coat all the time being like, it can be different. It can be different. It can be different. And it's, so it's just, um, I, I don't, there's so, there's so much joy everywhere that people are living once, you know, they give things up. So it's not like, oh, I've given up this idea of American exceptionalism and now I'm in the bread line and I'm wearing gray. It's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a, an obsession with binaries. Yeah. Could oh, you imagine if we had bread lines, like, oh my gosh, I would roll up in the most fabulous outfit. I know. <laughs> I know. I'd be like, great, another chance to be seen. Oh my god! Like, so, yeah, there's so know. much there. Yeah, I'll see you at the UCB breadline. Don't oh worry. See <laughs> you there. That. I'll be wearing my best. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Not a smock in sight, I tell you. <laughs> right. Oh, god. Oh, it's, um, I, I think it speaks to a limited imagination as well, and a lack of yes. curiosity. Yeah. Yo, a hundred percent, you know, when, yeah. when people, people don't have room for curiosity when they're consumed by fear and self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a problem. Well, and I, I think I, I had this conversation recently with, um, who I found out was a racist Facebook friend that I had no! from high school. Um, We're but all like, right now. <laughs> but he, you know, he posted some, some bullshit about like the cops who killed that guy at the Wendy's in Atlanta. Mm. Um, and I like called him on it and we got into this discussion about like who is racist. And I was like, cause I told him he was racist mm-hmm. and he was like, well, I guess if you're by your definition, I am racist. And I was like, literally like, by I'm your definition, but yeah, also I, I wasn't trying to, I'm not trying to tell him I'm better than him because I grew up in the same structure. I went to the same stupid high school as he did. Like right. all like the only difference between the two of us is that like I recognized it was a problem and I'm working to change it even though like you know I still have my problematic moments too, but like I'm not better than he is for like where we came from. I'm only better because I'm I recognize this problem and I'm trying to fix it, you know? Like that's the only yeah. difference. Well, is, and I like, think yeah sorry (laughs) no no no. i just yeah like the only difference is somebody has recognized the problem is trying to fix i don't know that's the only difference i see i think the complication comes from where we're all standing in this in this conversation and that there's no um we're not all participating in good faith we're like we're like okay Mm. we're let's have a conversation about rayshard brooks and like what this means about him being murdered by police at wendy's like and you're like yeah, yeah let's, let's talk about let's talk about what you just said and then what they're hearing is like any time in their life that they've ever gotten called out it's like and this i think this happens to a lot of us of like school parents uh another authority figure telling us that we're wrong and this is like the way in which we raise children poorly mm-hmm. and that like there's like a constant punishment attached to it and like if this yeah. person didn't go on to learn how to critique and uh, analyze and study things either on their own or within a college setting or higher ed setting, then like all you have is your experience being called out and punished because that's what you get from public school and from yeah. dealing with adults. So like, yeah. I'm not, excuse- I mean, this person sounds like 
they are definitely racist and they don't, there's no excuse for them, but they're engaging in the conversation from a point of defensiveness, you know? And mm. like, you're telling yes. me that I'm wrong when it's like, first of all, yes, you're wrong because you're racist, but also it's not even <laughs> about being wrong. It's about the fact that like all white people are racist. We are brought up in a racist society. That is not okay but exactly. it is something to accept and that if we come from a point of accepting that that's what's happening, we can work on being anti-racist and like Absolutely. that it's a journey that I'll, every white person is on at different points, but there's no ending. We can never do enough. We can never not be totally, all we can ever do is keep learning and keep getting better and keep doing the work. And they think, I think that people on the other side of it being defensive, I think their thing is that they think that we think we've made it and that they come over here and that we're right and that they're wrong. Yes. Yes. And instead I of cannot, being, we're trying yeah. to be like, come on the path. Just, just, just come to the path. That's all. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't co-sign enough what you're saying. That's exactly what I was trying to tell him. I was like, you know, as Jane Elliott says, like, if you're a white person in America and you aren't racist, you are a miracle because this <laughs> is the environment we grew up in and like you said it's a lifelong commitment to being mm -hmm. an anti-racist and to like getting one percent towards the way of fixing what has been historically wrong you know mm -hmm. and um and yeah all we're white people to have this conversation you're doing your duty yes. and your anti-racist work by talking to him it's i mean it's funny we're talking about missionary work uh, in this episode. yeah yeah but this is like the white people mission that we need to all gladly take up is to go to our fellow whites to be like, hey, this is we all live in racism. Let's all work on it together because yeah, completely. the amount of work that's been on black people's shoulders and all people of color shoulders is just completely unacceptable. And like if we but it's not it's not unacceptable in the way that I'm trying to give you a spanking. You know, right, like, right. first of all, spankings are hot. Second of all, I don't want to <laughs> you in a non-sexual way. Like I only, I, I just like, I don't know how, how to get on top of a building with a microphone and be like, you're not in trouble, but we're all yeah. wrong. Like, yeah, like we're all in trouble. trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Is that what it is? We're all in trouble. And that's, yeah. and that's, um, and that's just the way it is. I guess that's different from saying it's fine. It's not fine, but it is the way it is. Yeah, yeah. But that, it's weird because that keys so much into people's uh, survival instincts of we're fine or we're not fine. And if we're not fine, mm. there's panic and there's fear mm. and things like that. That's and, interesting. and you can't learn when you're in a place of fear or panic. All you no. can do is have that fight or flight instinct and you like kind of let your emotions take over. It, mm. uh, like you were saying before, you're talking about binary. And, and that's the thing is a lot of most people seem to read everything on a binary level instead of as mm -hmm. a you know, on a, on a spectrum, but learning the learning process is a spectrum. Whereas a negative label like racist uh, to a lot of people, like they take that and they grab that and they, they slap that on something and they say, this is the binary of that. There is no spectrum. And so they dismiss it. Whereas mm -hmm. these people who are, who are racist in the same way that we all are, or are in worse places of it, because there's no flexibility, Mm. are are not in a place where they can even get near that spectrum. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's perfectly put, Cozy. And I think it speaks to the ways in which our uh, history that we are brought up in our education system that whitewashes history and, and presents it as slavery, bad. Now slavery is mm. over, good. And that it's just like the worst people we can think of are like Hitler, 
and then like uh, some unnamed slave owner that you know we right. never really learn. And that mm. if we're not those people, then like there's this whole breath of like goodness. And the fact is, is that everyone is good to somebody. I think I've said this on other episodes because it makes me feel insane. Everyone is loved by somebody or appreciated by somebody. Um, and so that's not enough. <laughs> like that's not enough for you to witness <laughs> that somebody loves you. Yeah, like, absolutely. There's you're always going to be. I there's this uh, when I was in college, my uh college boyfriend lived on this floor uh in his dorm where the guy who lived across the hall was very strange like just sort of like um would never really look at you but would like come out of his dorm and like if you came out at the same time you're in the hallway together he'd be like hello and then he'd like turn back around and like go in his room he was just kind of like an oddness about him he was in mm -hmm. rotc he was always in like the camo and stuff oh, and we wow. would always say we'd always say hello to him and anytime we like kind of ran into him we try to engage because we both got sort of like a creepy vibe from him and so i think we were both like let's just be nice to him sure of course and so he was he ended up like warm warmed up to him a little bit trying to chatty and he but we never saw him anywhere we just see him coming in and out of his dorm so right. halfway through the year he gets like arrested and all his stuff gets taken out of his he disappears everything gets out of his taken out of his dorm he was reported for saying that he was going to kill everybody in the dorm and like Jeez. he had a list of everybody in the hallway whose name on it of oh. like his like kill list except for me and my boyfriend <laughs> amazing oh my god and oh. so in that in that moment there is a possibility that we could have been like oh my god but i don't know his name this isn't his name uh brandon <laughs> was so nice to us you know like brandon was like a good he was like a good guy he was so nice to us but like right. uh i don't know maybe this is a flawed analogy but it's just the fact that like i i I thought he was a little weird, but then the more we had conversations, the more I was like, oh, this guy's a little, obviously just has a lot to him, uh, you know, and like, we were able to build a bit of a relationship, but then he, he did have a lot to him and he could have hurt people. Maybe he didn't. I don't ever know what happened to him, but like, everybody has ability to build a relationship with somebody and to think that like that person is good. So to use these excuses for people when it's like, Oh, but think about this rapist's future. Like think about this, right. this and that. And it's like, everybody has somebody that cares about them. So it's not enough to have just somebody care about you. You have to take responsibility for like the things that you do. Uh, yeah, I feel like that was call. kind of like a, I don't know if that story maybe was a little messy and didn't align correctly, but <laughs> it's just trying but to that's think hard. It's hard to make, it's hard to make all of this stuff align correctly because it's, it's, it's all its own experiences and they're all have their own nuances, but right. you know, and as long as, yeah. I don't think yeah, he was a bad person. I think he was having trouble. I don't know if he would do something. I don't know, you know, right. and, nothing uh, happened. So I'm not and that makes, processing someone for thought crimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that, and that, like makes me think of even though of course you know it's different but that also makes me think of like the amount of personal work you have that everyone has to put in to make a racist change to the extent that they can change it's like you know you and your boyfriend talking to this person in the hallway it's like you have to go to their dorm and talk to them that's the amount of personal work it takes to change one racist person sometimes yes yeah 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 exactly and it feels bad i think that's the other thing it feels bad to have to talk to your family and get into a fight or like have them be defensive mm -hmm. and it's easier to just be like i'm cutting them out of my life i'm not going to talk to yeah, them they're racist exactly it's so it's so much easier to do that than to put in the work and that's the hard part but like that yeah exactly that's like the easy way out for us 
uh, is to cut racists out. And like, there's people like I have, I have cut men out of my life who are uh, sexist or who I feel like are triggering me in my experiences, my abusive experiences I've had with men. And I've cut mm. those people out because I cannot have that conversation with them. But that's sure. why I need other men or like other maybe women who uh, don't have those triggers to like step in and educate those men. You know, it can't be on like, so like, it can't be on the black people experiencing racism to be like, all right, racist. Cause who else is going to, who's going to talk to my aunt if it's, and I'm not saying my aunt is racist. I'm using it as an example, but who's mm-hmm. going to talk to my, my, um, who's going to talk to my family member. Me? <laughs> yeah. A family member. Exactly. Um, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. trying to put anybody on blast. I meant as like, well, who's yeah. going to have that yeah. conversation if we're the closest to them. And we, we say, no, I want to cut you out of my life. Well then who's going to do it. Totally, totally. Or by virtue of just like redlining and segregation, like a lot of these people, I know my family included, like live in small towns in the Midwest that essentially are segregated, Mm -hmm. you know, and so like, they don't even have a person of color or a friend of color who can tell them about this stuff. So it's like, nobody's gonna say it if it isn't their like, you know, queer kid who moved to a city and has more experience than they do, you know? Wow, that's like, a really, that's a really great way of saying it. Yeah, we're the perfect missionaries. We've had the education. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's bringing it back home. I love it. Yeah, yeah it's, so th- it's missionary activity without the colonialism attached to it. Yeah, <laughs> anti- yeah. with right. anti-colonialism. <laughs> I feel I, I feel like I feel like it's the missionaries going back home to their place that sent them out and being like, "This is the truth, though." They're like yes. reforming the people who sent them out. Yeah, exactly. we talked about the various religions in Japan and why they should be respected and honored. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my god! I hope that's and the sequel. <laughs> I, I well, I'll just say I feel like if, <laughs> based on this conversation, I think y'all would enjoy this movie. Nice. You got me hyped. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Where Where are y'all at? I definitely went in with kind of like a tepid interest or maybe even a non-interest just because when I hear religion and like the 1600s, I there's like a 16-year-old in, inside of me that's like snore. But like, <laughs> I, I have to overcome like that, an asshole impulse that's like the lazy anti-intellectual side of me that's just like, no, I want to watch something with Rachel McAdams. Um, <laughs> But like the more you talked about it, especially the aspect of like, I think my first apprehension was like, oh, white people in Japan uh, or like religion in, or Catholicism in Japan. But then how you talked about how that's really the crux of it. And like, that's the examination is of like this aspect of colonialism. And I think as somebody who has identified as atheist and now feels more agnostic, uh, I've definitely fallen into the trap of being like, I'm not learning dick about religion because it's all fucking stupid. But like, <laughs> the fact is so much of it is connected to the colonialism that we're experiencing. We're still seeing the abusive uh, traumatic effects of today. It's hmm. like, it actually feels like it's my due diligence to like learn a little bit more about that because I am at fascinated and interested in colonialism and its ties to the present day and i don't think about religion as being a part of it as much since that's not an area that usually interests me but yeah you tied it together for me pete and now i'm now i'm stoked like now i'm like angry and passionate and so i'm like ready to dig into this three-hour movie (laughs) oh my god i'm so happy yes i'm convinced
Yay! Cozy, Cozy. how are you feeling? Cozy! <laughs> Thank you! Uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, on some level, I'm echoing what Luce just said. Uh, aside from aside from that, uh, I'll also say that this movie makes me think of two different movies. Uh, the The searching aspect of it in in a foreign country, um, sort of seeing the seeing the sides of it all, kind of makes me think of Apocalypse Now. Yes, very that, very that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had that instinct near the beginning of this convo, and then I had to like think it out a little bit and be like, okay, there are different things happening in there. There are the same things in some level, and yeah. So, yeah, it, but it also, in terms of the the feeling of of quiet and patience that it has, that it sounds like it has, uh, and sort of that feeling of of slow conversation makes me think of First Cow a little. Hmm. And along with the lushness of the environments and the visual aspects of, of how visually beautiful it is. And so to me, it's sort of coming across as an apocalypse cow. Uh, <laughs> apocalypse cow. Oh my God. <laughs> Cozy, that um, was your finest work yet. You know, uh, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll do those, those sleeve, those sleeve stories where you take a while and then you hit that punchline. But um, <laughs> oh I haven't but seen like, first cow, but I'm, I'm very curious based on, Based on that and the episode y'all did about it. Yeah, yeah, like I haven't seen it yet either. But I've got good news about First Cow because it was supposed to, you know, it came out the week before um, the stay-at-home order in Los Angeles. And, or not Los Angeles, but California. And um, so nobody really got to go to the theater and see it if you didn't see it opening weekend. Um, <laughs> like I did. Uh, but <laughs> it's coming to on-demand july 10th so everybody nice. will finally be able to watch first cow oh my god oh i can't two more weeks yes okay. i'm excited and i want to talk about well, well we should like reboost the podcast when it comes out because i i felt so bad i felt like it got missed um the quarantine took it over and it's such a beautiful film and it is so lush and quiet and perfect for this time well and maybe that'll be the time where i finally watch it and I think you're right, yeah. Cozy. I think there is a, I, again, I have seen First Cow. I haven't seen Silence, but there is an aspect because it's about colonialism also. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So there is a connection to it. Oh, and yeah, like, nice. Yeah, examining oh, a, world, interesting. a world and your place in the world and what your role is and is this even your place and what is your place? Like, so it seems like there are some connections. Okay, so so the feelings, the feeling of Apocalypse Cow for me, uh, <laughs> for this movie, uh, I, I feel like because of, because of those associations I'm having with it, I feel like I'm approaching that in the same way, where I think I would like seeing this movie while I was seeing this movie, but I think that I wouldn't necessarily be excited to go and seek out this movie. Like I know the second I got into the theater, the second I put it on, I'd be hooked. But mm. I think I think that the the general sort of narrative is one that wouldn't hook me until mm. I got there. So I would see this movie, but I think I wouldn't run to see this movie. Oh no! How do we get you to see it if it's not uh, in theaters? Uh, so we can't all drag well, some, each other. Sometimes there. <laughs> that still sometimes that still works for me. Sometimes I'm still in that mode where I'll, I'll put something on where I'm not looking for like a, an explosion. I'm looking for uh, for us like a setting, a feeling an atmosphere of that slowness 
Mm. Like there's a time mm-hmm. at night where you're like, okay, I'm going to settle in. Maybe I'll turn the lights off and just kind of feel, uh, s- feel like I'm in a mood for something subtle or something yeah. quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on when you're cooking at 145. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like yesterday. Is this, is this movie black and white or that's just the. Uh, no, no, it's not black and white. It's okay. Color. Yeah. Why was that? I feel like the poster for it has like a black and white vibe. Weird. Um, I don't know. The one I'm looking at doesn't, but maybe it's a different one. Maybe I mean. Yeah, maybe it is a different one. You know what? Sometimes you guys, I just say things. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're um, thinking of Blue Jay. That's the black and white uh, one. <laughs> yeah, right. Which, oh, that's been on my. Uh, that one, I'm. I am definitely gonna watch that one also. I'm um, excited for you. <laughs> yeah, I I'm excited about this this movie you got me Yay. really excited and i really did go Yay. in with a with kind of a eh. <laughs> you know what as i was as i was rewatching it this morning and i was like taking notes and everything like i realized i was like this is going to be a heavier lift i feel than some of my mm. other movies sure um, because i'm not really interested in religious movies either yeah in a weird way this movie even though it's like so involved with religion it doesn't feel religious it feels like if it has like a message in terms of spirituality i feel like it's like pro agnosticism Mm. um that's what it sounds like yeah which is which is interesting to me um and oh and then the other thing i this was one of my notes i totally forgot to say Mm. but this was like this project was in development for 26 years scorsese like whoa knew he wanted to do this for so so long and has been working on the script for or had been working on the script for like all that time wow it really breaks my heart that it flopped because this is clearly something he was passionate about yeah totally totally just, yeah got to the point in his career where he could take a risk and then that was the risk it's just too bad it came after wolf on, on wall street because it's just like such a i feel like that was one of those like that's a movie for them and then this is a movie for me but then nobody saw his like right more thoughtful movie yeah right right well mm-hmm. hopefully you know martin scorsese can be buoyed by his willie millions <laughs> and I still feel so bad. We're praying for him. For him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how how can he survive with this? We need no fund me for Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an embarrassing, embarrassing career, you know. Oh my oh, god. I know. You know. What will he tell his kids? <laughs> uh, that he oh. has six, seven movies in post production, right? Oh, only seven <laughs> movies. That's so hard. Wow. Yeah. It looks like he's making uh, Devil in the White City as a TV series, which I have been waiting for for so long. Talk about a movie he's been working on forever. He was going to make the Devil in the White City like 10 years ago. Hmm. Into oh, wow. a- I don't know that yeah. one. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, if it's going <laughs> to turn into a TV series and it was just announced, that means they're not going to film it for a little bit. So this is your opportunity to read the book, which it's is very good. so good by Eric Larson. Mm. Um, about serial killer H. H. Holmes, who oh. is the nineteen, um, not nineteen, eighteen ninety three, the old, the World's Fair, turn of the century World's Fair in Chicago, to uh, <laughs> kill women. <laughs> gotcha. He built this like crazy house of horrors where he just like uh, serial killed the shit out of everybody in Chicago during the World's That's Fair. Terrifying. 
It's really scary. And it's a really good book. Eric Larson. It's the only book I've read of his, but uh, Isaac's obsessed with him. And he has this way of writing nonfiction, whereas it feels like fiction. Like it's just hmm. so narratively driven that it's not, if you're not a nonfiction person, it's definitely the nonfiction book for you. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, but yeah, I guess I was just looking at Scorsese's uh, IMDb and that's what's coming up at some point. So that's rad. That makes me very excited. Yeah, I think he would. Re- he or the other person who would really do great at that is uh, Fincher. Oh um, my gosh, yeah. So, but I'm happy that he's doing it. So, well, we're both convinced, Pete. Great job. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited for y'all to watch and get back to me. Yeah, thanks for bringing such an interesting film onto our radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so- I know. I was excited to do this one because it even though I did feel like it was a heavier lift, like it's, it's weird. Like it's just different from, I feel like a lot of films we've talked about on here. Yeah. I don't think we've actually done any religious films. Cozy. Can you think of any other than like, I don't know. Carrie has a religious element to it, but it's not a religious film. (laughs) Yeah. No, nothing immediately jumps to mind for me. You know, I, we've talked, we've talked about doing saved, but we've seen it. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone has seen saved. Um, Yeah. That's my probably my one religion touchstone movie as a one I love. Yeah, I, I try to think if I have any. Uh, I was like, I don't know. I like Madonna. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> a league of their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really. The only other movie that I that I like maybe at this level that feels like in the same ballpark is um, the Tree of Life. Oh, oh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Tree of Life. I it didn't grab me. I wanted to like it so bad. I thought it was beautiful, but yeah. I didn't really yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> I think I don't remember how I felt about that, but I think I saw that movie, and I think I was like, "Oh, this is as visually interesting as I was expecting it to be." You know, maybe I'm even thinking of another one from that same guy. I don't know. That's yeah, how it's tough Alec. it is. To... Yeah, yeah, I can't decide. I'd have to. Uh, were there like, um, were there ancient culture scenes in there? Was there like a yes, Aztec or Mayan? Like, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, and then, then I did dinosaurs, see it. Okay. but then also Brad Pitt in the fifties. Yep. Okay, then I did see it. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty, but that's probably all I got. And like weird. <laughs> Here, <laughs> I just weird. realized I wasn't thinking of one of the most classic religious movies that I absolutely love, which is The Exorcist. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh also, yeah. Hello. Also, hey, we just we literally talked about it on this ep- on this episode of this podcast, History of the World Part One. Fucking super religious. <laughs> yeah, there's so That's much true. religion in that movie. Also, today is Mel Brooks's birthday that we're uh, recording this on. Oh wow! Oh. Happy birthday, Mel Brooks! You really brought a also lot John of Cusack. And John oh, Cusack. Happy birthday, yeah. John! Pretty good. If right? you're listening. Like, oh my god! I hope, the, I... I hope that all the Cusack family's into us now. <laughs> We've if there's one goal I have so for this much. podcast. <laughs> I love the Cusacks so much. Oh, they're so wonderful. wonderful. Also, Gilda Radner and Mike White today. Both pretty cool. Oh, wow. All oh, great people. Day. Yeah, big, yeah. big, big day. <laughs> big day for birthdays. <laughs> um, and then I, I like, I really like Dogma when it came out, but that's like the Kevin Smith movie I've only watched like twice. Like I haven't watched it very much. So Oh, that's I've seen that one more than most other Kevin Smith movies I've seen actually. Yeah, Dogma. Oh, love it. Oh, you know what? I'm totally lying. There's another movie that I really love in this vein. Have y'all seen Doubt with Meryl Streep? 
I love doubt. Okay, yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That might I, be that's so the other one good. I get confused for spotlight and silence. <laughs> one I don't word know. titles. Yeah, one word titles. I don't know why I didn't think of that connection sooner, but that is a great... It's very thematically similar to this movie. That is a powerful movie. I really, really love the ending. Um, oh. It's so tense. It's so, oh. so much suspense and like... Yeah all what's that being said and oh the music is so good that is a that's one of those movies that i feel like is not at all underrated like it got a ton of attention and it was all totally deserved yeah completely agree i love that did film. i see that meryl Maybe. streep um amy adams Viola yeah Davis, i like that one that was a good one Philip seymour hoffman yeah Philip i like seymour that one hoffman, a lot. yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah, that was a good sort of quiet good movie i'm glad that we are all in agreement on that one Agreed. Also, I think the only other one that has some some religion aspects that we've done before is uh, "We Are the Best." What religious? What? Uh, oh, uh, oh, yeah, because the mom, yeah, that's right. The one character in "We Are the Best" is her family's religious. Yeah, and they like need to try. They like try and talk her out of it and all that. Yeah, that's so Ooh. funny. Yeah, that part's great oh, because they're like let's befriend her and maybe we can get her to stop believing in God. Yeah. Let's try and change someone. Oh yeah. That was interesting. <sighs> oh, fantastic. Well then we did, we did have, uh, this is the most it's religious movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you so cool. much. Pete. Do you have any, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Obviously anytime we would love to have you constantly you have such good insight mm-hmm. about films and you always bring up like the three that you've brought up are so wildly different <laughs> and so yeah I love your taste it's uh, you like so many different things for so many different reasons I feel like you really appreciate the art of cinema Boom. <laughs> I was thinking about our cats episode this morning as I was thinking about like how I was going to present this movie um and it occurred to me that I feel like I just I like what I like about movies is the experience of watching them. Yeah. More than maybe the movie itself. <laughs> I get that. that. No, no I get that completely. Yeah. Cause that's how I felt. That's how I feel about this movie too. Yeah. It like definitely meditative is a good word for it. Um, it's, it's like a great, it's a great movie and it like has all the, all this great artistic merit, but it's imperfect. Um, but kind of because of, all of those aspects i enjoy watching it Mm -hmm. i think it's okay when things are imperfect i am definitely guilty of being like this is a perfect movie because i am at my core hyperbolic Um, (laughs) and i've tried to fix it over the years and i have now embraced that aspect of me love it or leave it i am going to be over dramatic about something when i love it um that's just me so i tend to be like that was a perfect film but like (laughs) nothing is when it has human hands all over it but i think there's something to be said for like even when it's like well that part didn't really work for me but like man i really get what they're going for like if you're able to like convey your story still yeah and it takes a lot to ruin something (laughs) totally Totally. Or a, a total uh, uh what's the what is uh apathy i think there's a lot oh. of apathy in filmmaking and that's what ruins yeah. it, it makes yeah. Sense yeah yeah like wa- watching this again i was like there there are definitely probably 10 minutes that could be cut from it 
Mm, um, any movie that, over 90 minutes you could cut 10 minutes from oh <laughs> right right that's and that was my second thought was like oh i could give that critique to so many things so yeah like it just I, sometimes it works like every now and then you'll be like wow that didn't even feel like two hours i did feel that way about call me by your name that i was like i could just watch this outdoors like italian villa scene forever could you cut some of it maybe but i uh Sometimes just looking at a lush background is really relaxing and life affirming, yep. especially when we can't be out in the lush as much right now. True. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm, well, do you have any uh, recommendations, Pete? If you are, you know, you watch three hour movie again. I don't know if you had time for anything else. Oh, I mean, I mean, I have plenty of time. I'm still unemployed, so I definitely have time to watch stuff. Oh, great! Um, well, what else should we watch? And I, okay, this I cannot recommend highly enough. Like, I think he's had a number of busts in the last 10 years, but I think this movie is a great return of Will Ferrell. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And Rachel McAdams co-starring in Eurovision Song Contest, The Legend of the Fire Saga. Uh... I've been so psyched to watch it. I haven't seen it yet, but I was just i've been thinking about how i want to watch that tonight like all afternoon oh we've got a lot of rachel mcadams in this podcast i like it <laughs> yeah. Dude, the reason i said rachel mcadams is because i was thinking of that movie already today <laughs> oh my god Pete, oh, you read amazing. my mind and as That's... soon as you were like he's had a bunch of busts and i'm like oh you're talking about will ferrell <laughs> <laughs> it, this film is so so funny and it has so much heart in it and even though i don't believe Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams would ever be a couple in real life. I think they have great chemistry. Um, and randomly, Pierce Brosnan is in this movie. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's just that. really funny and um, and heartwarming and life affirming. And oh wow, campy as fuck. Like, do, you, do y'all know anything about the Eurovision Song Contest in real life? No, I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I only know what I've heard. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a total real thing, but it's like, you know, I feel like the European Union is still kind of struggling like with how to um, create like um, a sum greater than their individual parts. And I feel like this is one cultural aspect of it where they're like, each nation is going to like, you know, vote for a song and then they will go up against all the other European Union nation songs. And this will be like this big, you know, EU cultural thing. Um, Mm. So it's like a real thing and it's been going on for years and years, but that's yeah, like crazy history. The, the basis of this film. And it's, it's really fun. Interesting. Is this on Netflix right now? It is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's like a more macro version of American Idol <laughs> with so yes, much more history. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really love fake songs in movies. And if they can do that well, like if they write good, funny songs, <laughs> oh, then I'm like on board. Really good. Really good. Have have you seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? I yeah, I tried to start it a couple times. I I didn't get. Hooked. <gasps> That's fair. Oh, no, it's not fair. That is a perfect <laughs> movie. <laughs> I uh, found I'm, it very hilarious, but I get yeah, it. <laughs> I think it's like the funniest movie of the last twenty years. <laughs> oh wow! Wow, okay. I love it. I've I would probably watch it like two or three times a year. Like it <laughs> makes me feel so good, and I I really love the songs that are in it. I think they're like really well written songs that like are very catchy and emblematic of the time period that they're supposed to represent. Um, so it just made oh, me interesting. Yeah, it made me think of that. Um, 
when you said that. I was like, ooh, yeah. yes, I love a well-written comedy song. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. The the songs in this are are really, really good. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. Thank you for that good recommendation. Cozy, what are you recommending today? Uh, because this week was pretty busy for me. My recommendation is a little off from my usual ones. Uh, I'm going to recommend fruit and yogurt special case cereal. <laughs> Ooh, so good. Boom. It's so fucking good. Uh, I do mine with craisins. Um, and for, for those who are unfamiliar with the cereal, it's got a normal cornflake style base with oat clusters and yogurt covered oat clusters. And the fruit flavors involved are like raspberries, which I love, blackberries, which I super love, and strawberries, which are great. And it's just like a perfect, super sweet, fantastic, like crunch texture cereal. What's the exact name of it? Special K? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fruit and yogurt Special K. They have like okay. a family size that I've been buying, which is slightly like taller than the other. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, it's a pandemic. Fuck yeah, family size. <laughs> It's worth it for the family size. Yeah, get in on that cereal if you're thinking about cereal options right now. Like, I don't even choose other cereals. That's how much I like it right now. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I don't even need variety right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really love cereal. I love it so much. It's so good I... when it's good. It's so good when it's good. Yeah. Uh, Lise, gotcha. what do you got? Um, I am recommending a movie that I absolutely loved uh, this week, Surely. It's by Josephine Decker, who previously made a bizarre little film called Your Madeline's Madeline. Oh, right. Um, oh, my gosh. That's my, that's one of my best friend's sister. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. Really? Um, and she's in this movie. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it, too. Whoa. Yeah, I know Michael Hearn was like a huge, huge fan of uh, Madeline's Madeline. Yes. Um, so, wait, did he talk about that on his episode? No, but I, oh, okay. I remembered him talking about it before that. And I was like, I wonder if he'll bring that one. I've never seen it. Well, I love. OK, so it's a it's a, sort of like a, it's not a biopic at all. It's a fictionalized um, kind of gothic drama about an aspect of Shirley Jackson's life, um, technically based on a book. Hmm. But again, all the characters that interact with Shirley Jackson and her husband, played by a uh, podcast favorite, Michael Stuhlberg. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the characters that they interact with are fictionalized. But it is so atmospheric. It's like if you and Shirley Jackson wrote The Haunting of Hill House, one of my all time favorite books that has had several versions of it made into films, most notably, most recently, the the Netflix miniseries that was on a couple of years ago that people got into. Um, but it is so like, I fucking love Gothic horror more than anything. It's like my favorite genre. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's romantic. It's, it's maddening. It, you never quite know what's happening. The Josephine Decker uses these really incredible extreme close-ups that are also sort of handheld and dreamy. Um, and I just, I loved it so much. I want to watch it again because I feel like there's visually so much to take in that I need to, to, to do it again. Like, I feel like I missed, I missed something. Um, mm. it was, it was great. Very creepy, but not scary. Um, and so like, if you're like, oh, I don't like scary movies, it's not a scary movie. It's just like unsettling and it's misanthropic which i really like and it just is exploring like kind of has a yellow wallpaper vibe to it of like women's inner lives in the 1960s and like how 
much women were expected to care for other people and that like you don't get your own life because you have to care for the man in your life and then there's like all this really great like queer um like sub not even subtext I know that there's stuff that's like right there too but there's like this weird obsessive kind of romance that's in it between Shirley and this woman that's living there temporarily and it's like there's a few scenes that just like really got me going um so I think it's like a fun pride watch also and it's uh, streaming on Hulu right now so uh yeah highly recommended also read the haunting of hill house it's such a good book and Halloween is only a few months away, so very true. Start yeah, I think now. I think we know somebody who is related to uh, the director of Shirley and is also in Shirley. She's a uh, she's an improv person. What? Yeah, that's yep. my friend. That's my friend Emily. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, I'd seen her posting she... about that, and I was like, oh. What? I don't know this person. Well, Emily who? I was like, you gotta. Yeah. Emily Emily Decker. She's yeah. I she was on my improv team soulmate. Um, I've known her for like three years, and yeah, she's super yeah, she's funny. In, she's in my book club. Yeah, I oh, see cool. her every week. Wait, yeah. is she is she like her sister? What's it? Is she her sister? I don't know. They have the same last name. I think that I believe so. That they yeah, are that, there. That's yeah. her sister. Yeah. Nice. <gasps> yeah amazing and i know emily is in this movie she said she has like two lines so i'm yeah, so excited to watch so cool. it now oh my god i can't believe i don't know this person um not obviously how could i know all of the people but <laughs> you know the comedy scene it feels small yeah we have 46 mutual friends jeez yeah um, i think I'd, i think you'd like her but pete knows her much better than i do well, obviously, oh, yeah. She's great. I'm gonna Here worm my way into her life. So no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who she is in the movie, but uh, that's so cool that she's in it. And you guys, I think you both, I know you both would really like it. So yeah, give it a I always, shot. I always like uh, Elizabeth Moss. She's always mm-hmm. cool. Oh yeah, yeah, same. She's you know she's she's great. She actually looks a lot like Shirley Jackson too. So it's like a good really good casting Hmm. and it has a lot you know it's about like a one of the most depressive and agoraphobic times in her life so uh, i feel like we all have like a little bit of agoraphobia after being inside all the time so (laughs) yeah yeah there's like an aspect of um a quarantine like relatability to it as well oh that's cool Mm -hmm. yeah which i hope people are still quarantining everyone stay home wear a mask I was like, what are you talking about? What's quarantine? I, yeah, I know. I know that like uh, <laughs> there is a section of the country that's pretending like it's not happening. Cases are on the rise. Uh, stay home, wear a mask, please. Yeah, Keep I feel very lucky alive. that a lot of that we all know a lot of very smart people is what I'm realizing. A lot of very smart, logical people. And so I feel like everybody on my feed is more like people who aren't quarantining are idiots. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool. They are preaching to the right choir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it's so bad in LA County. Everybody stay home. Yeah, it's bad in Arizona. It's bad in my hometown too. Tucson, oh. not good. Yeah, Arizona is really. I was just reading that yesterday that like Arizona and Texas and Florida have had like some of the highest days. Yeah, I'm constantly worrying oh, wow. about my everyone I know in Arizona, and also Tucson has a part of it that's like definitely on physically on fire right now. Oh God, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, like fiery stuff. It's pretty scary. So. 
hometown, be safe. <laughs> we have to take care of each other. When we talk about defunding the police and getting rid of the police, that's because we want to turn to a community model. And part of that is all of us stepping up and like looking after each other and like moving away from individualism. So like, let's mm. keep that in mind that like where everyone is really traumatized and having a hard time right now, we got to lean on each other and turn and care for each other. It's a great um, call. Well said. Oh, thank you. Um, and that's, you know, movies are a really great way to connect with people. It's something that I've always loved talking about movies with other people. And I, this is a really big part of my community. So, you know, come hit us up, uh, talk to us, come talk to us about films. We, you know, have a community here that we've created. We want to talk to you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, not to, you know, turn this into a shill, but just to say that like, <laughs> we Do talk it. about films every week and we always try to tie it back to something meaningful, emotional or connected to our culture. And like that, you know, film is art and art is part of our lived experience. So, um, you know, we're all, we're all standing together in this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It need to see pod and you need to see this. <laughs> Let us know what movies you're watching, what movies are making you feel good, what movies are agitating you to make a change. And, um, yeah, I think we hit, I think we hit everything, right? Is there anything else I need to discuss? Nothing comes to mind for me. That's it. Well, oh, leave us a review, please. That's like a small free gift that you could give us, um, because this is something that is definitely the thing that's making me kind of hang on right now. <laughs> I'd say it's like the most social and creative thing I'm doing is this podcast. So Same. Uh, let us know that you enjoy it. And uh, hopefully we're bringing, injecting a little bit of fun and creativity into your life as well. If you leave us a review, we'll read it on the air because we'll be oh so grateful. Um, and thank I'll, you so I'll volunteer to read one in, um, in an Australian accent if somebody wants. <gasps> Amazing. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I have to hear that. Please, dear listeners, please leave Help us a out. review. <laughs> 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 and, and put like, like jumping kangaroos in it or something. So, <laughs> uh, didgeridoo. Put something Australian in there for Pete to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Pete. Thank you for recording us and making us sound so good every time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so, so fun per usual. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to see what you bring to us next. And thank you listeners for tuning in to You Need to Pete This. You need to Pete This. You need to Me This. <laughs> <laughs>